and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled that you can join us today. We're going to have a really interesting conversation about philanthropy and how it is making a huge, huge difference in the world of dementia. And we are going to be talking with the Fairy Foundation. So before I introduce you to our guests and we dive into this conversation, first, I want to welcome everyone who has joined the show today. I know a lot of times we get new listeners and uh, people wonder why, why did we get started? Well, we started because my own mom lived with dementia for 30 years and I really wanted to connect people to services, products, and tools. And I wanted to raise everyone's voice all around the world because I really think that's the only way that we can make sustainable change. So maybe, just maybe, you can be our next guest. I would love to talk to you. Feel free to reach out to me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com. Now, I'm going to do a couple of shout outs. One is just to recommend that you go visit alzheimerspeaks.com. We've updated the site In fact, we have one whole section that is just all free resources. There's a variety of them there. So listen, watch, download, um, use them to educate your staff and your family. And um, also there's a couple of sections that uh, people living with dementia can participate in as well. So our dementia chats and our dementia in the arts program. So if you think those are a fit, you know, please, uh, please contact me on that as well. We also have a public events section, and I just want to note that I have um, two events coming up, one on May 17th, the other one on June 10th. Both are going to be live, and they are going to be a screening and talk back of the film a timeless love. So please feel free to call into the YMCA at 763-230-9622. And then I also want to mention, I'm so proud we launched our book, Betty the Bald Chicken, which has been a keynote of mine forever. And it came to me while I was dealing with my mom with dementia. It was really kind of a, I think, a God download to me. So feel free to check that out on our book tab on alzheimerspeaks.com. And also, you might want to check into Dementia Map. If you have not gone there, please do so. We have 150 different categories that people can search. There's a calendar of events. There's a glossary of terms. There's some wonderful articles and so much more. We're going to hear from the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner, and then we will be right back. I love the footbar walker, and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest. There are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, Adapt it.
Okay, it's time to introduce you to our guest today. Again, we're going to be talking about the gift of philanthropy and the power of change it's making in society. And we're going to focus, of course, on dementia and caregiving specifically. Today, we are going to learn about the Richard and Maude Ferry Foundation, which is a family foundation deeply rooted in Catholic tradition, and it promotes dignity and quality of life for for all human life. And we're going to be focusing on three of the Fairy Foundation's initiatives, Mods Awards, Mods Ventures, and the Memory Hub. And we will be talking with Richard Ferry himself. I'm so honored to have him on the show, along with Quinton Oram and Marilyn Reichel and Mary Grace Becker. Now, I just want to give you a little introduction before I bring them on. So Richard and Maude Ferry are one of many couples who have lived what's often called the American dream, and they have walked a really blessed life and have been rewarded on their journey. And from their beginnings in a small Midwest college town, uh, they turned into community leaders in Los Angeles and entrepreneurs in global business. Now, Richard is the co-founder of Corn Ferry International, which he started in 1969. And for more than three decades, he was instrumental in establishing the firm as the world's premier provider of executive human capital solutions. Maude was Richard's everything. They've been together for 65 years. They had six children. 12 grandchildren, and three great-grandchildren. And I'm going to let Richard tell you more about Maude and why she was such an inspiration for all he has done. Richard is also the chairman of the Richard and Maude Ferry Foundation, and he is going to be sharing with us why he formed the foundation to begin with and what he is interested in really supporting. Now, Quentin Oram is the executive director of the Ferry Foundation that supports causes like Mods Awards, Mods Ventures, and the Memory Hub, just to name a few. Quentin received his master's in education and leadership and administration from the University of Notre Dame, and he was a teaching faculty at the Brofree College Preparatory School. And he is a partner with the Social Venture Partners, which is a philanthropic organization. Quentin is also on the board of directors for Christo Ray in Seattle, and he is an advisory board member of the SCU Ignatian Center for the Jesuit Education. Marilyn Reichel is the executive director for Mods Awards, and she began her career in Seattle as a producer of the Bathhouse and Tacoma Actors Guild and was a theater communications fellow at the Guthrie here in Minnesota. In 1987, she founded the Seattle's International Children's Festival, introducing children to the world of culture through performing arts and growing that to become the largest festival in the U.S., in 2010, she received her master's in public administration from Harvard University, Kennedy's School of Government, and upon returning to Seattle, she became a care partner for her parents, both who developed Alzheimer's disease. In 2015, inspired by her mother's newfound artistic ability, she focused on art of Alzheimer's and really celebrating the creativity of persons living with dementia and the power of the creative arts to enrich and empower their lives. Now, last we have with us Mary Grace Becker. Now, she is the program manager of community education and impact at the University of Washington and the Memory and Brain Wellness Center, known as MBWC, and the director of the Memory Hub, which is a new community center operated by the MBWC that offers education and social programs for people with memory loss in their families. Mary Grace has received her master's in social work from the University of Washington, 
and has a focus on aging and community organizing. She has worked with a variety of nonprofits with a focus of aging well and living with dementia. And she is very passionate about building communities in which people with dementia are respected, welcomed, and fully belong. So you can tell we're going to have a really interesting conversation here today um, with all of these very passionate people. So let's get to it. Well, I have the group all together. I uh, introduced you here earlier, and I am so excited to have this fabulous, fabulous panel with us today. Now, like I usually do, I'm going to start out asking everybody how they've been personally touched by dementia. And I am actually going to start out with, with uh, Marilyn, if you don't mind. So my, both my parents had Alzheimer's and all of my aunts and uncles on my father's side had Alzheimer's. Um, and I was a family caregiver for my mother for about seven and a half years. And it was an incredible journey. And it is the most rewarding thing I have ever done in my life. Wonderful. Thank you. And Mary Grace, how about you? So, yes, I come into this, actually, I think it's unusual that I don't have a personal connection to persons with dementia, but I um, became interested in uh, first just working with older adults and then during my master's in social work, I uh, did an internship with a couple of different nonprofits that serve people with dementia and really fell in love with um, interacting with folks with dementia and um, learning so much from them. So pleased to be Great. here. Thank you. And Quentin, how about you? Well, my uh, beloved grandmother uh, had dementia for the last decade of her life, so that touched our family in that way. Uh, I also witnessed uh, the way in which my grandfather cared for her, and so it it also touched me in that way. Um, and now it's become a part of my my work uh, in the family foundation, um, and that's not something I ever expected, but I find a lot of joy and meaning in that. Well, you do a wonderful job in terms of, of leading that cause. So uh, thank you for sharing that. Richard, how about you? Why don't you tell us how you've been touched by dementia? Well, Lori, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you back uh, a few years uh, to talk about uh, how I was touched before Maud, because I was touching my family uh, early in my life, well before Maud's illness. I'm going back to the 1980s now. But my mother passed away in Phoenix when she was 78 with the diagnosis of senile dementia. And my father-in-law, who lived in Ohio, died at age 82 with a similar diagnosis. And both had separate caregiving family members, and I did not really have any close contact with either in their final months. At that time, I was living in Los Angeles and committed to starting a new business and raising a family or, or helping to raise a family. And after my dad passed away uh, with a sudden heart attack, uh, mom was placed in a care facility in Phoenix where she lived for six months before she died. And I had, uh, I, had, I had regular visits with mom after she entered the care facility, but there was little or no re recognition or communication. Uh, I would give mom a, a big hug, say a few prayers, and take her for a short ride as I pushed her in the wheelchair outside of her apartment. And then shortly thereafter, I'd be back to the airport on a plane to Los Angeles. And my older brother who retired in Phoenix was her, her care partner and spent time with her every day for meals and company care. But it was not a real learning experience for me. And you'll hear later when I had a much different experience and, and much more engaged with, uh, with mom. Okay. Well, why don't you tell us about what was your life like with mom before the diagnosis? And then we'll get into the changes that you've gone through? Well, Maude and I were married for 65 years before she passed away. And uh, uh, we had what was often described as a, described as a, uh, a story, storybook romance. My wife was a matriarch extraordinaire. She had a long and lasting gift of love for all those who walked in her path. She was a devoted, uh, she was a devoted Mother, wife, grandmother, great grandmother, and a friend with a with a big and generous heart. She lived her life with grace and elegance, 
who was a strong role model for all who knew her. Maud was an outgoing, caring, tireless, and, and, a, and a beautiful woman. Often identified as an identical match for Lauren Bacall. Uh, I don't know if any of you know who Lauren Bacall is, but she's oh, a yeah. very famous <laughs> Hollywood movie star. And, uh, and Maud was often, uh, often thought as a twin for Lauren. Uh, once Maud delivered her first of our six children in Ohio, she stopped working and became a, a full-time mom. Second child was also born in Ohio. And Maud was always a loving and supportive spouse and enthusiastically embraced our move across the country to Arizona for a unique opportunity for me and blessed us with three more children. Another career move uh, led us to Los Angeles, which became our home for the next 37 years. And after the birth of our sixth child, I started Corn Ferry International with Maud as my silent partner, my goodwill ambassador, uh, world traveler, golf buddy and golf partner, dedicated wife and mother. She became an undeniable, an undeniable force to help guide my career and our business interests. And she was truly, truly the wind beneath my wings. And I would sing, I would sing that song to her every day when she was exercising, because she truly mm. was the wind beneath my wings. What a love story. I love it. We don't hear enough of those uh, stories these days. So that that's magnificent. Can you tell us, because, you know, Maude ended up being, being diagnosed with dementia. Can you tell us a, a little bit about that and what kind of symptoms you saw and how your family dealt with that? Well, Lori, initially, uh, we casually defined her illness as experiencing senior moments. I'm sure you've heard that many times. Uh, at first, it was her limited grasp of words and sentences. She had difficulty remembering family names and experiences, and her prayer life was interrupted by her shortness of memory. I stayed close when we were socially out with friends to respond to any questions she was asked about life or family to avoid any embarrassments that she might have. Uh, next, uh, she relinquished check writing, household chores, and driving soon followed. However, after exhaustive medical evaluations to find out what was happening and to rule out medical conditions such as mini stroke or aphasia, tests at UW Medical finally concluded that Maud had early stage dementia. Life went on though with travel, entertaining, golf and many other everyday activities until the day in 2013 when her illness had taken a dramatic turn for the worse. It had changed everything. And shortly thereafter, our first care partner was hired to help Maude with her daily needs and activities. Wow. The symptoms that you talked about and kind of the giving up of tasks and the, the role that you played in terms of kind of protecting her dignity from mistakes. I, I just see that so much in my, in my own family with, with my dad and my mother as well experiencing pretty much the same thing, kind of going from those senior moments to, nope, it's, it's more than that. How did you find the, the diagnostic process for yourself? I know for our family, we were extremely frustrated, but, you know, my mom's been gone since 2014 and she lived with it for 30 years. And so back then, you know, no one even used the word dementia and very few used the word Alzheimer's. Um, how, how was the experience for you? Well, the most difficult challenge uh, for Maude, and, and I guess at the same time for me, was when she was told that she had dementia and mm -hmm. there was no cure or treatment for the illness. Uh, for me, I had some difficulty accepting her diagnosis. But it was even more difficult when she started to disconnect from our nearly 60 years of marriage. Mm -hmm. So thank God... Um, as her illness advanced, uh, our relationship settled back to a more loving and comfortable level. And at that time, I was very protective of Maude and the family, family really rallied around her. But I needed to cut back on my outside activities and become a more engaged care partner. So as the illness progressed, I, I decided to investigate memory care as an alternative for my own care 
but decided that I could do a better job caring for her personally, along with a caregiving team that I hired from Indonesia uh, that, uh, that worked for her in the end 24 seven. Uh, but it was a special relationship that I had with the caregiving team and they were, they were extraordinary and, uh, and, and were with Maud for almost nine years. Wow. And, and that's, you know, you're lucky that you could afford that. A lot of families can't afford that, which I, I'm sure you appreciate given your, your status and, and uh, all your hard work over the years. And even I would imagine, even with that support, this is still a j- difficult journey. Is that correct? It is. I'm still I'm still in the grieving stage, although it's been over a year now since she's passed away. But mm-hmm. uh, but her memory is is with me every day. And if you were in our apartment with me, uh, I, I live in a uh, in a care facility uh, that I brought her to when when we first discovered her illness. Um, she surrounds me here at the apartment mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in every way, with photographs and and, uh, and even some flowers that I bought. Uh, about uh, uh, a couple of years ago, they were guaranteed to, lo- to, to last for at least a year, and they're still in place. Uh, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, are, they are still they're still here, and I look at them every day as a, re- a reminder of what. Oh, mm-hmm. that's that's beautiful. I, you know, the grieving process it, it's different for everyone. I mean, I I haven't lost a spouse, but I've lost both my parents, and I have. A, um, a set of flowers that comes up. My dad's been gone since 01 and they uh, still bloom constantly. And mm. they they just touch our whole family. It's just a, a beautiful thing. So now I buy that plant for everybody who I know who has a loved one who passes because I just think it's just a neat, a neat remembrance there. I would imagine why you started Maud's Awards and Maud's Ventures and got into the Memory Hub had to do with Maud. Um, but was there a trigger, you know, was there just something that said, you know, let's let's start? I don't know if you had the foundation ahead of time and then the dementia piece came into it. Maybe give us a little history on that. I should ask that first, maybe. Well, in Maud's final years, while she was living with dementia, my life is dedicated to her, mm-hmm. to finding ways to engage and comfort her during her illness. And the awards program was launched in 2018 mm-hmm. to honor my beloved wife. And the foundation was in existence at that time. And this was a realization of my prayers and dreams to enhance Maud's life, the lives of those living with dementia. It came to being as a result of my constant search a constant search to discover new and innovative concepts and programs to benefit the, the, the dementia population in combination with the hiring of a very accomplished and talented executive director who's on the call with us today, Mary Rako, who herself, as she mentioned, had been a care partner. She mentioned her mom, but she was also a care partner of her father as well. And since the founding four years ago, Maud's Awards has focused on on care while we're waiting for the cure. And that's kind of our tagline. We love it uh, because unfortunately, um, the cure has not arrived yet. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. Uh, And each year has been a thrill with the discovery of a wide range of new ideas and programs to present to the dementia community. And we we give out eight awards each year, five to individuals and three to organizations, along with financial grants, gifts that they receive. And uh, we're in the process now of doing the, the evaluations. Uh, uh, well, actually, we're still gathering the applications uh, for this year. Our hope is that we'll maybe have 100 applications this year. Last year, we had 87. Um, and, uh, and we have a wonderful advisory board that, uh, that does, the, does the evaluations and the grading before we, we make the selection of the award winners. Wonderful. Well, Marilyn, I'm going to kick up to you and have you talk a little bit more about Mods Awards and how did you get connected with Richard? I was very, very lucky. Richard approached me with an idea. And my first response was that this was visionary. And then when I had the privilege of joining him as the executive director, It was first and foremost and remains an opportunity to do good. 
an opportunity to actually provide hope to so many people who are looking for ways to provide joy and happiness to their loved ones and also to persons who are living with dementia. Um, it is it is such a privilege to be a part of something that is making people happier, better, more supportive. And so that's how I got involved. Wonderful. How is Mods Awards different from other grant programs and things that are out there? Well, first of all, it's not a grant, so it's much simpler. Uh, it's it's an award for something you have done. And so for anyone, and this it is available to anyone, so any organization, any individual, and that's what really makes it special is that a lot of organizations, a lot of give awards to organizations, we give to individuals as well. And this can be... Um, Professional caregivers, it can be a person who is caring for someone who has done something that has made their life wonderful. It can be a person living with dementia who has made their life better. Anyone can apply. And that's, I think, what makes it so special, that it's for organizations, it's for individuals. Plus, it's very easy to apply. <laughs> it, it is easy to apply. And I, and I think again, noting that this is for work that's already been done. And I mean, people hear the word grant and they kind of go, oh, you know, Uh (laughs) it's going to be a lot Uh of work and and I might have to hire somebody to help me do that. And then how inclusive it is in terms of who who can come forward, you know, from the organization to the individuals, to those actually in the trenches. I think that those, those things stand out and people are shocked. They're like, what do you mean? I can, I, I can get an award for what I already did. I mean, they're they yeah. are shocked when you tell people, but they're very excited. I think the other thing that I love about Mods Awards is that you you do the catalog afterwards as well. Oh yeah, we do a handbook. So we've done from the free years. This is a handbook of everyone who won in the previous year, and also all sorts of ideas and programs and practices of care that have come our way. And we put them into this fabulous handbook, which you can download on our website, and which we can also send you a printed version. Um, uh, and it's, it's really inspiring to read all of these and it gives you contact information. If you want to contact them, if you want to see how you might be able to incorporate something like this into your life, it's, it's a great resource. It really is. And the thing that, that I love about the handbook too, is that it just expands people's knowledge of what's out there because it's so limited. People kind of know maybe what's in their backyard, but that's about it. And they get scared to kind of go on the internet and try to explore because is this going to be a a good person or a good company or am I going to get scammed? You know, there's that worry that's out there. So you, you add that credibility of, of vetting these people. And again, it's just put together so well. Now the application process is open right now. How long does that run till? So that runs till May 16th. So you can go onto our website at www.modsawards.org and you can go to the awards section. You can find out about the categories. You can download applications um, and you can also download the handbook. Um, And then you can, um, there's this wonderful resource on the website um, in blog, go to blog and it's top tips for applying. So anyone who has applied before or is thinking about it is, has questions. It gives you all sorts of guidance. It's really, really wonderful. And, uh, of course, in a pinch, I'm available to answer questions. Um, and so, um, they can download the application. It's due on May 16th and we are looking forward to hearing from everyone. And when will you be making your determinations and your announcements? Well, it usually takes, so the board takes, we have people, every application is read by at least three people. And we have this long process. We actually have this process where we actually do what we call deep dives 
to the people who are in the top 10% and we really talk to them and say, okay, what didn't you have space to include in that application? Tell us more. And so they go through this long process. And in mid-August, we try to actually make the decisions and then we'll do a public announcement in September. Okay. And then now there are categories that they can apply to be part of. Can you highlight those categories for us? I can. So one is making connections. And this is opportunities to bring people together and to make them connected to their communities. And they're in the website. There are examples. There's another one called um, cultivating health. So anything that is um, contributing to the long-term health and stability of a person living with dementia. Another is really interesting, which is treating by design, which is um, designing spaces and mobility for people. And and this one, we haven't gotten a lot of, of applications in, but if you go to the website and you click on treating by design, it can give you a little bit more information. And then we also have supporting care partners, which is really important. Anything that can provide, provide care partners with support, supportive ideas to keep people happy and safe. Um, and so those are the four categories. Um, and so we're really excited. And one last question I have for you. Is this for U.S. only? We cannot make a distribution out of the country from the foundation. Okay. Well, then they're going to have to move their concepts here. So. And that's happening. That is happening. Well, thank you for sharing that. Richard, I want to go back to you and talk about Maud's Ventures. And and how did you come to fund that? And, uh, you know, I'm just so intrigued at the work that you have done and and the thought. I mean, you are really you are really a, a shift changer in terms of our dementia care culture. And I am I'm so thankful for you. So. Well, thank you for your kind comments. I'm just going to uh, I'm just going to say a few words, to introduce this, and then I'm going to ask Quentin to to uh, to to explain it in more detail. But Mods Ventures was launched to reach a different level of innovation, to enhance the prospects of discovering more advanced treatment and care programs for the dementia population. The concept was simple: um, is providing early stage financing, and that, that's the critical distinction here. From Mods Awards, early stage financing to individuals or organizations who are seeking funds to advance an idea or program still in the formative stages to care for folks with dementia and their families and their care partners, as distinguished from the awards program where they're all established, they're sustainable, they're proven. These are new ventures. And I'll, I'll ask Quentin to, to please comment based on his experience now because he's, he's engaged today in, in, in the application process again. For I think that is this the third year, Quentin? Or yes, third year. That's right. Well, I'm happy to jump in. Um, so that's a great introduction. Um, what we hear a lot, Lori, from our partners in the dementia care space um, is that uh, seed funding to get an idea off the ground, to build a, a prototype, to try something out, is some of the funding that is most badly needed. Um, and so that is what we try to bring uh, to the table with Mods Ventures. Wonderful. Now, do you have certain categories that they have to fit into or can anybody apply? Yeah. So this is something that we have evolved on. In, in the beginning of Mods Ventures, uh, we developed what we call design challenges uh, with a team of folks living with dementia, caregivers, care professionals, and the basic question is, what is what are the problems or challenges of life with dementia that they would like to see creative people focusing on? And it was effective, um, but I think it was also limiting um, in terms of having uh, these defined design challenges. So this year we're doing things a little bit different, um, but it still is very much reflective of, I think, the soul of my grandparents' journey. Um, there's a general category for any new idea in dementia care. And then there's a category that is specific to late stage. And what we often find is that there are a lot of creative ideas out there and a lot of people who want to engage folks in the early and mid stages of life with dementia. Um, But I think part of my grandfather's legacy is that uh, as my grandmother and her capacities declined, 
his interest in engaging her and giving her a meaningful quality of life only increased. And so we want to find and support people who believe um, that folks who are in the later stages still have a meaningful life to live. Oh, I love that. Because I do think that that is very overlooked. And I know through my experience with my mom, the, the more her disease progressed, the more intimate actually our relationship became. I mean, the world became smaller, but it was much more profound, um, the interactions. And so I think that's, that's absolutely, absolutely beautiful. So for applications, is there a, a set period or can people apply all year long? What is that structure looking like this year? Yes, applications opened uh, a little over a week ago, and they will be open until July 14th. Um, And the application is very straightforward. um, And we want it to be because the real thing we're trying to surface is what are the good ideas out there? And we want to have a low barrier to entry for um, people who might think of themselves as entrepreneurs and maybe people who don't, but have an idea that with the right funding and support behind them, uh, they could find out that they are, in fact, uh, entrepreneurs ready to bring something new into existence. Um, so you can find it on our website. Uh, and ours is uh, similar to the way that Marilyn described Mods Awards website. It's modsventures.org. And there's a frequently asked question section that we think is quite helpful for applying, but uh, we're also always happy to meet with folks who are interested in applying to answer any questions. So with the structure of these applications, can can somebody come in who has done something, but they want to bring it to another level? Or is this for just brand new concepts? For the most part, it is for brand new concepts. Now, uh, there can be an evolution of an idea that is different enough that it, it, that it really is bringing something new into existence. Um, but that's the, that's the kind of unique uh, place that we want to serve in, in this space is, is who has something that is just an idea. And it needs needs the first bit of belief and capital to help see if it actually might serve people. Now, if you were to get somebody who was just that idea person, because there's a lot of people out there that are just the idea person. Do you have like a percolator group? If you go, this is really a cool idea where you really want to pull people in and support them or are they kind of, is, is it just an idea and you'll listen to it, but you're not going to kind of help birth it or see if it can be birthed into the world? It's a good question. So on the front end of things, we are always happy to be thought partners and percolators. Um, On the evaluation of the applications, we have a team of 12 uh, of care professionals, folks with dementia, caregivers, um, who are going to help evaluate our finalists and interview our finalists. uh, but then one of the things that we have found that can be most helpful, and I think this probably gets to your question, Laurie, is once folks have funding, there's a whole other set of supports that can help an idea come to fruition. And so we've started to build relationships with other funders in the space, um, uh, with other entrepreneurs who want to share their experience of either starting a for-profit or nonprofit venture, um, with experts in the field of dementia care. We haven't yet really um, institutionalized those things because we're still kind of early in our in our life cycle. But those relationships are beginning to be a resource that we can then bring to bear on folks we invest in. And those relationships, we continue. Uh, I mean, folks we have invested in in the past, we are continuing to find creative ways to help promote uh, their organization, bring more funding into the organization. Um, so, Okay. So you guys are like a mini shark tank that's not so um, um, intimidating, <laughs> you know, when you, when you bring that idea uh, to, you know, to you. And I love, again, how both Mods Awards and Mods Ventures use a real inclusive board to analyze this from people living with dementia, uh, those in the trenches personally and professionally and stuff. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, well, that that is that is strongly the influence of Mary Grace, uh, who was who was very helpful in getting Mods Ventures off the ground and and made it clear. And she's she's a leader in this in the community and in 
driving this that um you know not, nothing about us without us would be one way of framing it um but that just solutions that don't that don't uh, include lived experience are, are probably destined to fail so yeah i agree which is a a perfect uh, segue into my next question for richard if you want to kind of introduce us uh to your belief and how you got involved with the memory hub that would be great well, I'd love to take just a few moments and then Mary Grace, I know, will have some things to add. Uh, by the way, Mary Grace is one of our advisory board members for awards. So she's very much engaged uh, with the program that, that Marilyn has, as well as what you just heard from Quentin about her, her support for the, for the Ventures um, program. Uh, let me start with a little historical perspective. And Mary Grace has heard this. Uh, uh, they just celebrated their, their first anniversary. Um, and um, these were some remarks uh, that I had made when I was invited to talk uh, for the inauguration. Um, but it started, um, my, my introduction started with an introduction by Tom Bird, who was the my beloved wife's uh, neurologist. Um, when, um, when, um, when he introduced us to Dr. Bruce Ranson, the head of neurology for UW Medicine. And Lon and I had two lunches with the good doctors to learn about UW Medicine's plans for a memory and brain wellness center. And then I was introduced to Dr. Tom Montine, who was named to head the new center. And I was told by Tom that the center was being launched for the diagnosis and treatment of Alzheimer's and other brain disorders. And after two or three meetings and rather some intense conversations, Tom agreed finally to add a program dimension to the center for the care and treatment of the patients while we're waiting for the cure. And then regrettably, he left for a position at Stanford. So however, we were blessed with Bruce's selection of Dr. Tom Grabowski, the head, the head of the Memory and Brain Wellness Center. And the rest is history, which I know Mary Grace will, will fill in. But the hub is here today because of his extraordinary leadership, along with Mary Grace Becker, the re, who's the remarkable director and program manager for the center, as well as the other center, center's management team. And my financial commitment to the hub, to help launch the Memory Hub was again motivated by my beloved Maud. As I mentioned previously, it was during her final years of, life, of her lifetime that I was on a constant search for ways to enhance her life during her illness. And regrettably, it did not open until after her death but the launch of the Memory Hub will go down in history as the beginning of a, of a new movement for dementia care in this country. And we are blessed. We are blessed to have it headquartered in Seattle. And we're blessed to have Mary Grace as the director. And on that note, I will, I will be silent and let Mary Grace take some time to, to give some of her insight. And maybe she'll even mention Maud's Garden, uh, which is part of the Memory Hub. And I think Maud will be smiling down from heaven. Uh, when Mary Grace talks about this. Wonderful. Mary Grace, you want to tell us a little bit more about the hub? And what a great legacy for Maud. I mean, just she will live on forever and ever and ever on, and on so many levels. It's just so beautiful. Well, thank you, uh, Richard, for that beautiful introduction to the Memory Hub. And again, um, absolutely, every time I talk about it, I like to acknowledge the legacy of the Richard and Maud Perry Foundation um, and the leading gift they provided in order to make it happen. And so the Memory Hub, as Richard described, it is operated by the University of Washington's Memory and Brain Wellness Center. And we do see it as that pivotal pillar that supports people with memory loss and families at the same time um, that we do our clinical care within the memory clinic. And at the same time that we do research around how the brain works and opportunities to discover new treatments and work toward a cure. So we're so grateful to be able to have this physical space and uh, devoted toward care for persons with memory loss and their family members. The Memory Hub has been open uh, now just over one year and it does function as a vibrant dementia specific community center. So very similar to a senior center or community center uh, where folks come in and sign up for um, whatever kinds of programs they're looking for. Um, but with that focus on living well with memory loss or caregiving. So um, we have three days a week that we're open to the public for drop-in and then other days where there's scheduled events happening as well. Um, there's a variety of different supports. 
and education and wellness opportunities that people can take part in, including, uh, Richard mentioned, Maud's Garden. So we do have Washington's first public memory garden on site here, um, which was transformed from a bare lawn into now a lush garden um, in honor of Maud's memory um, memory garden, meaning it's designed to be inclusive and accessible to persons with dementia and their families um, with a sensory focus um, and the bed, like a very nice large raised garden bed in the center that folks can engage with without even needing to bend over, um, but connecting to nature um, and enriching their lives through that, through that special space. Um, another thing I'll just mention about the Memory Hub that I think is unique about it and special is that it's, it is operated by the University of Washington and you have medicine, but we, we are operating it intending to create a space for multiple organizations to align and collaborate on site. So there's five different organizations that work here that all have that mission of serving people with dementia and their families. And that includes our founding partners, the Fry Art Museum, that have a, a over 10 year legacy of doing creative aging programs for people with dementia. They're right next door. They're also our landlords. Um, and then the Alzheimer's Association, national nonprofit serving folks with dementia, um, but the Washington State chapter is involved here, um, providing free 30 minute consultations for people with memory loss and families around resources and ways to um, get engaged. And then we house the Elderwise Adult Day Program, which is a, a MODS award-winning <laughs> program, a very creative arts-based adult day program uh, that's been around for a couple decades. I'm super, super proud to have them on site here. And then also another nonprofit, Full Life Care, operates out of the space um, with a special focus on serving caregivers. And they have a variety of caregiver education and support for caregivers that they offer. Oh, nice. I, I love the collaboration of pulling everything together to make it easier for families. Um, it's so difficult sometimes to run here and run there. And well, and it's just easier to find out when when things are all located together, you know, what's available um, to you. So that's absolutely fantastic. Do you guys do at the hub, um, like any screenings at all, if people are having concerns or, or does that go over to the other group? It all happens under, you know, the auspices of the broader UW Memory and Brain Wellness Center. We try and we're going to do a little bit of everything in a complimentary way, but the screenings happen in the memory clinic space, which is just a few blocks away. Okay, great. And what kind of reception have you gotten from the public for this? I, I would think it's got to be overwhelming and exciting. Very, very, very positive reception. I do think that especially coming out of the pandemic, which is was such an isolating time for people on top of just simply, you know, living with memory loss and caregiving outside of a pandemic can be very isolating. I think people discovering that there is a space devoted to them and where they can walk through the doors and connect with others that have that shared experience is very, very uplifting. Anything that you'd personally like to, to say to Richard while we can, while we can capture it on tape. I mean, the man's just incredible. I mean, what a gift to the world. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, <laughs> I think it does go without saying um, it's very obvious the the care um, that Richard has emanating out, you know, the care toward Maude that he provided for so many years. Um, Richard, I think is such an inspiration to all of us and the way that you use that care um, as a catalyst to support thousands upon thousands of other people in that situation, I think is so remarkable. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, before I let you go, Mary Grace, upon Richard's request, will you please sing to Quentin for his birthday and we can celebrate? Ah, we gotcha. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, y'all can join me. I know singing simultaneously on Zoom can be a little awkward, but let's just go for it and embrace this moment. Quentin's 34th birthday. Here we go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Too kind. Thank you. It'll sound like we were singing in rounds. Even Gloria, I was hoping we were going to forget that or run out of time. But. 
Well, we have to have fun while we're on the show. I'm gonna I'm gonna buzz up to Marilyn here and just ask you, Marilyn, is there anything you would like to to say to Richard? Yes, Richard, you are a man who truly lives his faith. You have such an extraordinary generosity of spirit. You inspire me every single day. And it is such a joy to work with you. And you're very funny. Thank you very much. <laughs> I won't try to be funny on this on this call with Lori, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we still have some serious we still have some serious conversation, Lori, before you finish, though. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, Quentin, how about you? Is there anything that you would like to say to Richard? You know, what I would say, I mean, I, I love and admire my grandfather. So that goes without saying, but, but what I would say is that I I think one of the amazing pieces of uh, his legacy and, and, you know, maybe even the most impressive piece um, is the way that he cared for my grandmother as she lived and struggled with dementia. I, I um, in my professional life, I have lost count of how many people have stopped me and said, I have to tell you the story of, of seeing your grandfather with your grandmother somewhere in Seattle. I mean, I was just with the former attorney general of the state. And before I was able to get a word and he said, I have to tell you about the story of your grandfather and your grandmother. He said, and he said, I, your grandfather probably doesn't even know who I am. Um, but I know who he is and I, and I witnessed his love for her. And it's just so interesting how life goes. You know, I, I think uh, 15 years ago, my grandfather's greatest legacy without a doubt would have been his family. And, but also I think his work in corn Ferry, and those stand the test of time. Um, But I think now that might be his crowning achievement is, is the way in which he modeled to each of us, um, uh, how critical it is to care for people um, and treat them with dignity uh, through the through the balance of their life. That's uh, it's very I think prophetic to witness that in action. So, I think that is the best way to teach is that leading by example. And when it comes from such a passionate, authentic space, I mean, you can't ignore it, and it opens people's eyes to life can really be different. You know, this journey isn't something anybody wants to be on, but you you make it, you know, what you choose it to be. And when you still focus on, I have a relationship here and you, and you don't let that go, it really changes, I think, the journey significantly. Lori, let me add something because mm-hmm. I don't know if we're going to have time. Quint is going to be off here shortly, but our work is not finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my work is not finished. And I'm surrounded by the people that are supporting me in many ways. But uh, this idea of care while we're waiting for the cure is real. Um, We're only touching the surface with a growing population of people living with dementia. The numbers are increasing every year. And there's been a very limited number of medical trials that have, have had even mild success in treating the illness. And the pharmaceutical industry has spent billions and billions of dollars to support literally thousands of competitive trials that have failed in finding a cure for Alzheimer's and related dementias. So back to something that Mary Grace said, in my humble opinion, collaboration is the answer, not competition. And we need to assemble the brightest minds from the medical world, bioscience, government, philanthropy, to share research and ideas and funding to launch national programs. And I think the Memory Club is on a, on, on, a, on, on this, on this pathway to enhance the lives of our dementia population and one day one day find a cure and i know that it's been 100 years i guess since alzheimer's was dis- was discovered by dr alzheimer's right but uh, but there's a lot of work to be done and uh, and even in mods awards and mods ventures we need to expand our reach across the country uh, uh, we've been very much focused on the pacific northwest but, um, but we need to expand our reach across the country. And that includes a major effort on our part to reach the, the economically deprived and racial minorities uh, that have been, over, have been overlooked or ignored. And uh, hopefully we're on the right pathway with, uh, with Maryland and Quentin's leadership. 
And I can tell you in my years around dementia, my focus has not been exclusively, but almost with the middle to upper middle class white population. Um, and there's such a large population out there. We didn't really touch the Hispanics or the Asians or the African Americans in our work that we need to do that. Well, and like you said, expanding that and being more inclusive, it doesn't happen overnight because you have to build that trust. You have to get to the right people. But word is definitely spread. I mean, I know from when I first heard about MODS Awards and MODS Ventures, I know a lot more people know about it now. And when you get those voices chattering, it's an organic thing that can happen naturally. Again, I think because of the passion and the authenticity and, and the, I've been in the trenches scenario, I, I get this, and I know what's working and what's not working, and, and building that creativity, you know, just being open to that creativity, I think is massively huge, because I think sometimes our systems um, squelch that creativity, uh, they can make such a, such a difference there. I think you can influence our future, uh, and the future this, uh, for all for all folks who are touching dementia. And, and we need to, one last thing, we need to identify someone, Lori, that has a national reputation, can be a national spokesman for uh, Alzheimer's, you know, like uh, Parkinson's did with Michael J. Fox. Mm-hmm. Or if you're familiar with, with, uh, with a fellow by the name of Michael Milken mm-hmm. uh, with uh, prostate cancer. Uh, you know, Michael Milken was diagnosed with prostate cancer 30 years ago and he was told he was going to live uh, 12 to 18 months. Uh, he's now lived 30 years and he spent and has managed a billion dollars of investment in finding ways to, you know, to cure prostate cancer. So whether we go to Tony Bennett or we go to Bruce Springsteen, all of Tony Bennett has, has an illness himself. Mm-hmm. But we go to Bruce Springsteen who has a mother who has Alzheimer's. Uh, they could be instrumental in influencing the work that goes on here to try to educate our population and, um, and to remove the, the, the stigma that attaches with the people with, uh, with dementia. So there's so much more to be done and you can influence that on your radio broadcast. And I think we can with the work that we're doing. Oh, and again, it, it's all about lifting everyone's voice and, and working together. Um, I do want to um, just say again, in, in wrapping up here, I have been, I, I'm just so thrilled to have you all here to really hear the, the stories behind all of the different initiatives. And you can go to modsawards.org and you have till May 15th to get those uh, applications in. And then Mods Ventures is open. And Quentin, what is the, the deadline for that again? July 14th. And uh, the Memory Hub, you can go out there and and visit that as well. I hope, you know, for our listeners, you know, I want you to be a giver of hope. I just think it's so important to share the knowledge that you receive from this show and this program. And like, click and share, it takes seconds, but you don't know who is in sometimes your own family, let alone your circle of friends that are in need because They just don't know how to approach this subject or they've kept it to themselves. So please spread the word. It's not because I want the clicks. It's because at my core, I want people to have access to the knowledge and the resources and the tools that they deserve. And my gosh, you've heard from this group. I mean, just the incredible amount of work that they're doing to to improve our dementia care culture. So you can go to modsawards.org. They are on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and Twitter, all under Mods Awards, which is nice and simple. And then Mods Ventures, you can go to. They are a, a .org as well. They're on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And the Memory Hub, you can go to thememoryhub.org. Again, you know, fabulous work you guys are doing. I, I'm just um, so thrilled to be able to, to raise the work that you're doing and spread the word. It's absolutely incredible, the lives you've all touched. So thank you so much for all being on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, and God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a blessed week, everyone. 
Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.